0: 14 formal allegations of bullying within Sheffield City Council and a spokesperson's admission, there are almost certainly more. We take a look at the story that has portrayed working for the local authority in a new light. Welcome to the Sheffield Scoop. Welcome to the Sheffield Scoop. This is Harry and I'm chuffed to finally have the Steel City's new news podcast going out to listeners for the very first time. Unfortunately, I regret to inform you that my co-host Alistair was on annual leave last week, so I am alone here to bring you your first installment of The Scoop. But please don't fret. I will have two guests with me today, including a very special guest interview with a former BBC presenter who made Sheffield his home and is now very busy at Channel 5. Dan Walker will be discussing Strictly, Sheffield Wednesday, and his controversial interview with Lee Anderson recently. Stay tuned for that at the end, but first we will be discussing the figures published by the Star last week revealing 14 formal allegations of bullying had been made within Sheffield City Council since 2018. It appears to have prompted a bit of a rush behind the scenes at the Council before they provided a comment, the councillor officers relations protocol and confirmed in the interest of transparency there were almost certainly more allegations that didn't reach the formal stage. That's next. Right, about a week and a half ago from when you will be hearing this it was revealed Sheffield City Council had received 14 formal allegations of bullying against councillors and senior staff in just the last five years. We're looking at just under three formal allegations a year against someone in a position of authority which seemed poor enough before you added the prospect of informal complaint to the mix. Now we're looking at at least 14 allegations in the last five years, whether that's formal or informal, and I think we can say with some confidence that there are more because Sheffield City Council themselves said there were, and I quote, almost certainly more. Five of the formal allegations were made against elected Sheffield councillors, two against Labour councillors, two against Liberal Democrat councillors, and one against a Green Party councillor. Nine of the complaints were against senior staff managers. Just from that, we can see behavior perceived as bullying is not just something coming from councillors who have been voted into this world of politics. It's also senior members of staff who will have seen new members come and go with each local election. And if you ask me, there should be more discussed over this. I obtained these formal allegation figures well in advance of their publication. They didn't go out straight away because I wanted names. We've seen in Westminster the effect of bullying in government. Dominic Raab and Gavin Williamson, the most recent examples of someone dealing with the repercussions of bullying staff who are just trying to do their job. I think that raised questions on the culture within Sheffield City Council. It was long known for being secretive, but the Labour, uh, the largest party in the council, Labour, has been rejigged with new, generally younger faces for what they hope will be a new start, but is it? So to help us take this story a little bit further, we are joined by local democracy reporter Molly Williams. How are you, Molly?
1: I'm good, thanks, Harry.
0: You're in Town Hall regularly, I think it's fair to say. Um, what are your kind of observations as to the, the, the workplace culture, the culture inside the council?
1: Yeah, so um, like you say, we've been a local democracy reporter for more than five years now. So. And that's sort of like covering all those full council meetings and all the rest of the meetings mm-hmm. for over that time and yeah it's um meetings especially full council do get very heated um yeah. i think sometimes like obviously some some people think of government and they think about what it's like maybe working there and they might have visions of the thick of it and stuff like that which is entertaining that that would be Sheffield council's <laughs> not that bad um I think, um, yeah, I think obviously with politics, people are encouraged to be passionate. They're encouraged to be yeah. opinionated, to share those opinions, and like to um, to to really disagree with people that they have opposing opinions with. Mm. Um, so yeah, so we see we do see maybe we often, I mean, yeah, we often see comments that are not very that can't you know not always very professional. Um, that, Mm. um, you know, sometimes you think that's a bit, maybe a bit personal, probably gone a bit too far there, just in the heat of the moment. Um, Yeah, but I think generally, at Sheffield Council, I have found that the culture has also changed quite a lot. I think people would have described it in the past, even when I started in 2018, as quite secretive, not very Mm. transparent, um, sort of a council knows best attitude, which has got them into a lot of trouble. sort of undermined um and yeah there is a lot of tension between politicians a lot of tension within parties and i think that's fair to say Mm -hmm. that tensions like that are across parties as well it's not like one party in particular as your foi found it was all you know there are allegations from all parties
0: yeah
1: i think the committee system has definitely changed a lot of that, they're all forced to work more collaboratively. I think it's harder for parties because there's no, not really like a clear opposition. It's harder for parties to blame everything on someone else or to attack because actually they're all responsible now. So, <clears throat> um, so it just doesn't work. But, um, and I think as well, even even with officers, there's a lot of uh, really major officers who've left as well, like John. Yeah. Michael, um, I think. Uh, head of finance has left as well recently. There's been like just a big change of staff and politicians in the past few years. Um obviously change for Labour God. too.
0: And would you would you say that the 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 idea that came out of this freedom of information request that that um there were going to be Certainly more than just fourteen allegations of bullying would the fact that this is this is something that the council were clearly monitoring and are concerned about does that surprise you would does that surprise you at all that bullying allegations are made
1: um i don't think it surprises me that much i think um i mean yeah i mean in an ideal world it wouldn't happen at all, and the council would have um have measures in place to ensure it doesn't happen and it doesn't go that far but um, I think in the context of like politics I'm not surprised that there's that things get said that are just way way too far too personal I think sometimes the lines get blurred between um, what's like the facts and what's just someone's done a job, and it's like criticism, but it's constructive, and then it's just like attacking someone for for who they are. Mm. Um, yes, yeah.
0: and well, what we we saw in in the story that we published um, last week that it is largely, well, um, not largely, but there were more allegations against actual other officers or other staff um, than against councillors um but officers do find themselves generally in a tricky position with councillors don't they because there, there's a rules on the relationships in that if a council decides to go um you know criticizing council staff in public the officers can't talk back essentially publicly it, it physically says that in in pr- rules and protocol doesn't it
1: yeah it does um it's i mean it must be really really tough for an officer to just have to read this stuff going in the public um not even if we pick up as journalists but you know they have they all publish their own things on their own websites it's out there they're tweeting about it um sometimes they're tweeting things that are just in the heat of the moment as well not like necessarily considered or thought through yeah and it just feels really unfair i mean if it would be in any other situation in life you're attacking (laughs) if you're sort of like blaming someone you've got no no way to respond it's just it's really unfair and it's also i just think you know everyone deserves respect and you know these officers work really hard they uh, are experts in their fields um you know decisions that they make they they make them very on very um strict rules and guidelines a lot of the time like mm. planning decisions and stuff you know if you hear them talk in these meetings they'll have like a a whole explanation that'll go on for like five minutes of just talking through all of their rationale for something on some mm. you know fairly uh fairly minor mm. so yeah i think yeah i wouldn't like it if i was an officer mm. being um <laughs> no, well, well,
0: we like any time we're publishing something that's potentially um critical of someone, you have to give them a right reply, don't we? So yeah it's, definitely, it's, yeah, you know, it's it, it, it's it feels in a way that the protocol, in the way it was worded and and it's something that you I know you're familiar with, but just for our listeners, um the the bullying section of the protocol essentially turns around and says, um, it's normal for counsellors to feel frustrated with counsellors at times because they disagree with what they've said to them. And it almost feels like it excuses counsellors um, potentially being unfair um, to their, the staff that are there to essentially help them um, before they've even done it.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it's like that that thing, that phrase of like, everyone gets frustrated. It's just, it's not an excuse. Like, um there's frustration and there's like you can feel something you don't have to act on it you still treat people with respect it's not like if you've got nothing nice to say don't say it um you need to be professional and um you know yeah i mean critical feedback i can, i mean constructive feedback and criticizing people when when it needs to be said is important to you know you're supposed to debate things that's really important part of government and politics but mm. like there's a way to do it you don't need to make it personal. It's just kind of like detracts from what you're trying to do.
0: Yeah. And, and to bring it to maybe a more, a more, a more recent real life example is of course, I think, uh, on, on Thursday in full council, they approved the Sheffield local plan, didn't they? Um, and the Sheffield Lib Dems have put forward a, pr- pr- a proposal to remove the, well, to remove a separate proposal for a traveler site in Baton, uh, a traveler and industrial site. Uh, and that was shot down by officers as well, because they physically have to have plans for traveler sites in the local plans, uh, I believe. Um, but that prompted as again, the Star covered, I think last week, um, unhappiness from the Sheffield Lib Dems and, and were critical of that move from the officers and almost said that they were undermining their ability to represent their constituents. But it's not necessarily like that, is it?
1: Yeah, I think undermining is a pretty strong word. Um, I think, and it's not, if they're going to criticize that, I think, you know, it's not like the officers, it's not like an opinion that they've had that's based on the rules. I think you can have a problem with the rules, but then blaming a person, you know, who's just doing their job. I think. pretty unfair really
0: well, well we'll talk about the local plan um a little bit then the local plan was the kind of the big thing for the council in full council last week wasn't it tell us about what it was for what its purpose was um what's the point
1: yeah so the local plan is the blueprint for the whole city it's been it's a really really long time coming i mean this like what more than 10 yeah. years or something i think it's been in the works yeah. all of the policies they've been using uh, have been out of date, which is like
0: mm-hmm.
1: really messed up planning for a while it's kind of <laughs> weird, uh, <laughs> to say the least things like holland busk i don't think would have happened if we'd had uh holland busk was this big development um that people were really unhappy about in the local community because took away green yeah. space and um basically long story short it's being allowed to go ahead despite really clear public opposition because the council hasn't got a local plan to say otherwise and it can't prove a housing housing supply and stuff for the next five years so this local plan will hopefully sort that out it will say this is where we're happy for developments to be we're going to take a brownfield approach we're going to protect our green belt um this is how we want the houses to be built even you know like eco-friendly um this is our aspirations for the city. Um, and this is how we're gonna meet housing demand. This is how we're gonna create jobs. And just this really, really big document and it will set um, set the way basically until I think 2039. Um, it's supposed to come in next year. But yeah, it's for a really long time coming. So many delays, been really yeah. frustrating. So it was great to finally see it approved last week.
0: And, and you said that it was, um... You know, will essentially be in place until for for another about fifteen years. That would be if it comes into place next year. But w- was there talk of um, more regular reviews as well? Because you you mentioned there that you know the previous ones were kind of ten years old and that caused some issues. So if we're going fifteen till the next one, it's, it's...
1: yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, Paul Turpin said at full council last week. He was on the steering committee for the for the local plan. He said, I think it's that within five years they're going to review it, but he'd like to see it like sooner so that they make sure that they're keeping up with everything changing but again like loads of work has gone into it so um you'd hope that their sort of like predictions for how the city will change and develop will be as accurate as it can be but obviously stuff changes
0: well thank you very much for joining us molly that was a uh, much appreciated and enjoy the rest of your day
1: cool thanks harry see ya
0: thanks again to molly for sparing us 20 minutes at the scoop she had to rush off to a meeting of the Finance Committee afterwards, as is the busy schedule of a local democracy reporter. Now, I found it interesting that Molly too felt the Members Officers Protocol was protecting councillors' behaviour early on, before it even happened. And for context, this protocol outlines how members slash councillors and staff officers should treat one another and work together. And I thought I would read you this part on the bullying section that Molly and I both referred to. So this is the Members Officers Protocol under bullying members may from time to time become frustrated by what they regard as unacceptable or incompetent officer behavior it is self-evident that sometimes these feelings may be entirely justified although sometimes there may be a legitimate reason why member expectations cannot be met for example due to council policy or a legal requirement The very next paragraph, councillors are urged to deal with their frustrations internally rather than publicly because officers are instructed, and we quote, not to answer back in public. So if a councillor tweets about officers doing them and locals a disservice, the officer just has to take that. Next, the interview many of you have been waiting for. The face of Channel 5 joins The Scoop. Dan Walker is here. The Sheffield Scoop. So joining us on the Sheffield Scoop is a, a, very, a local resident of Sheffield, a well-known local resident of Sheffield, now Channel 5 presenter, Dan Walker. How are you, Dan?
2: I'm very well, thank you. Very nice to talk to you. Thank you very much for having me on.
0: No, thank you for for joining us. This is a, a, a very exciting moment for, for me, personally. Um, I grew up watching... Um, BBC Breakfast every morning because it was my dad's instruction. He, he told us to, you know, we had to get up at seven o'clock, watch BBC Breakfast for half an hour and then get ready for school. Um, and obviously the, the stuff that I remember is when Dan Walker... Sounds like a good dad, great dad. He, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no no wonder the industry that I've gone into. Um, right then. So we'll, we'll get right into it. And I think we'll start with Strictly Come Dancing. Strictly Come Dancing is back in, in just over a week. and We know it's uh, uh, something close to your heart I should, I can I, I guess I can say as you you danced on strictly for for a number of weeks uh, a couple of years ago um, yeah. are you excited for the new series
2: yes I am um, I think uh, I, I had lots of friends who did it before I did it so I had a, a pretty good idea of what it would be like but it still doesn't really prepare you for um, being part of the biggest show on telly it is it's bonkersly big I had a lovely Three months. I thought at best it would last for sort of three weeks and it lasted for uh, nearly all the way till Christmas. So it was amazing. I had a brilliant partner in Mm. Nelly Bishkova who I'm still really good friends with. And I made some really good pals on not just the other sort of people who were dancing on it, but, you know, celebrities and uh, uh, other professional dancers and stuff. So it's, it's been a really positive experience as I look back on it. And I think there's some really good people in the lineup. I think Angela Scanlon is going to be a real star. I you know we as a family we watch her programs on telly. We think she's great. Angela Rippon is uh, yeah. phenomenal and I also think Annabel Croft is going to be great. I really she's such a graceful woman in her broadcasting and in the way she goes about her business. I know she's had a really tough year with yeah. the death of her husband so I think it's going to be an emotional series for her, but I, I really I think the three A's. i as well throw Adam in there as well. Adam's going to be good. All the A's. I'm on the A team. Angela, Adam, the other Angela, and. Adam.
0: Well, I've been I've been watching the lineup um, announcements over the course of because well we always watch it just in case a celebrity link with Sheffield's comes along. But even as a, as a strictly fan myself, it's uh, something I've been following. I I'm backing Leighton Williams. Um, I think I think he's likely to. Do, do do a lot do a, do a fairly decent job i think he, he's got um a lot of acting background and, and dance background as well with musicals and stuff like that so i think he's got a chance
2: he's he, he basically he's basically a professional already though isn't he he's, he's, yeah. better than, <laughs> he's better than most of the male professionals i think the viewers they don't tend to uh like that too much so i don't I, I think he might find himself in the bottom two a surprising number of times, but he'll, ne- he'll never get voted off because he'll be so good that the judges won't let him go. But um, yeah, yeah, he'll, be, he'll probably be there in a long time, and he'll be amazing. But I think the thing about Strictly is you never want to be too good too early.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yeah. I, I like watching. No, I think that's fair. Get,
2: I like watching it for people who get better. Yes. You no, know, because it's a, it's a discipline that you learn, yeah. and you, you know, as you as you grow, you understand how to dance but also what the dancing means and you get a bit of history and a bit of culture and you understand how you hold your body how you move your body how you interpret the music and I think that's that's what I, li- I like to see people falling in love with you know the whole process of learning to dance and I think that's what that's what most people watching
0: and well let's talk to us about the uh the, the the kind of rigorous training that it involves as well you know you're a uh... Uh, for for much of your career you were um covering sports with with football focus and and in, i think i believe in your early career in sheffield as well there was a lot of sports going on there and football related stuff this is a sport really isn't it the amount of training that they have to do
2: yeah and i realized that really early on i was i was very ignorant about dancing having never danced before and i i remember being in the studio with nadia for the first time and i just i remember watching her dance like loosening up and yeah. you know getting getting in the swing of it i thought she's a she's an athlete mm. she's like Rory Rory McIlroy, Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, uh, Kelly Hodgkinson. She's at the top of her game. Um, And for uh, somebody like Nadia, Nadia started dancing when she was five or six years old. And um, she had a determination to be the best dancer on the planet. And she was. Two-time world champion, best dancer in the world for like four or five years. And then all of a sudden she's teaching this tall, (laughs) lumpy. how to dance on, on strictly. But that for me that's an amazing privilege to spend time with somebody who is that talented at what they do. So my my mindset is always, Harry, what can I learn from this amazing woman? Yes, she can teach me how to dance, but she could probably make me better at everything that I do. So better presenter, you know, better um, sort of the way I hold myself, the way I walk, all those sorts of things. And and that's why I think we got on so well because, you know, I, I really appreciated how talented she was at what she did
0: looking back to your own experience in your own series what was your favourite dance that you did because there were so many brilliant ones so many brilliant ones so many memorable ones what yeah, one
2: uh, I think I mean I, it depends what you think if you if think about Breakthrough the, the week that for anybody who remembers we had a, we did a Viennese waltz to um, Billy Joel yeah. and I think that was the one where I, I sort of got it I got dancing that week and I remember that's the first time that we finished and Nadie was like I was able to dance for the first time there. I wasn't dragging around the dance floor. Oh, I could actually dance. And I thought that that's a massive for somebody who's never danced before like me. That's a massive breakthrough yeah. where I can actually, you know, I'm I'm not just being shoved around and pushed into position. I'm actually doing something which is halfway near to where it needs to be. So that was a big one for me. But I think the one, you know, I've, the, the one that Nadia likes the most was either the um Charleston or the tango we did at the end because she was she was like I I I can't dance any better with anybody else you were brilliant than that which is lovely for her to say that but I think the one that people talk about the most is still the lobster and I you know yeah. I, I still get I still get pictures and videos sent to me of kids dancing in lobster outfits I walk down the street and people do the claws at me so you know, <laughs> and, and I, I saw Nadia last week she gets the same stuff all the time so and it's nice to have a you know we did we didn't we didn't win the competition, but I felt that I won with the partner that I got mm-hmm. and I think you know, you just want to you just want to enjoy it as much as you can and you want people to want to watch you dance the next week and I think we we certainly had that and the lobster was a big part of it. Yeah.
0: That. Well I think I think it, it won hearts is, is a bit of a cliche, but I think it definitely did. Um wh- I, I know- yeah.
2: Well if you can if you can get through if you can get through dancing as a six-foot lobster, nothing can stop you. That's what I often think.
0: Well, I think that's a very valid. <laughs> I think that's very valid. Um, obviously, Nadia spent a lot of time in Sheffield when you guys were training and stuff like that. And so I presume, because you've always been very uh, public with your with your favourite restaurants, places to go in Sheffield. Um, did you take Nadia to many? Did... Yes,
2: yeah, she loved being in Sheffield. Um, I think you know she's uh, only really lived in London, and I think all her other partners were around London so um, there's a bit of a trek to get to Sheffield every week from where she lives but she really loved it that she was really well looked after um, you know we, we ate well um, we had people from various cafes dropping off food to um, city limits on on Peniston Road and it was just lovely and she was really warmly welcomed into the city and I think when she then came back to do the tour in Sheffield the next year she she really felt that warmth, that love, and I think that was lovely because you know she's away from home, she's away from her daughter, um, yeah. And for her to feel really comfortable and uh, embraced into a city like Sheffield, I think it, that's that's going to live with her for a long time. I think when she came back to Sheffield for the tour the following year, uh, she felt that warmth again. And I think that's lovely for her to have that memory of being on Strictly that year because we had a great time together. But also she loved being in. You know um, what was a a city that now means an awful lot to her, and I know she loves coming back for yeah uh, the strictly tall yeah. and you know there's she's got lots of people who if she if she was to come back she'd be well looked after. They, my, my local curry house at Pretty Raj, they're constantly asking me when she's coming back, and she's got a, she's got a dish in there. I think there's a Dan and Nadia glitter in there, so she's,
0: <laughs> she, she lives
2: on in the city even though she's not here anymore.
0: That's brilliant. No, I'd I'd never known that one. That's that's one I might have to try then. Um, But what?
2: I tell you what, the glitter bolty is very
0: nice. I'll give. uh, No, I will. I'll give it a go. We can. We can. um, Maybe we can do like a star tries Prithraj's glitter bolty, and that'll do really well. Everyone would love that. (laughs) Um, Let's let's talk about some um, of these shuffle dishes. You've mentioned your your local curry house there. One that is very. well known to be you know that's 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 the curry house dan walker likes you know everyone knows it maybe as that but also for the great food because it is great food i've been there myself have you have you come across any other like new businesses recently that people maybe aren't aware is something that you know dan walker quite enjoys when he's when he's in sheffield uh i
2: love there's a a cafe up in Fulwood, not too far away from
0: live called um brook Mm. um which is they've just taken over a.
2: and uh, cafe on the corner of forward shops. That's lovely in there. The food in there is fantastic. Um, my mate runs that. So, uh, I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know it was his, but I, <laughs> when I went in there for the first time, it was very nice. Um, uh, there's, I mean, it's slightly out of Sheffield, but as a family, we always go to, um, station every single school holiday yeah. for our, for, a, for a breakfast. I just think that whenever we've got friends that come up from London, that is where we go. Um, and I love I I, I particularly got a, a soft spot for, for breakfast. I love Yeah. Um Marma, I love Marmaduke's in Sheffield, I think oh, that's yes. nice. Yeah. I love the Hidden Gem Hidden Gem Cafe's an absolute belter. Um went to went to Gaishi recently. Have you been there on West Street? The um, I haven't,
0: no, Tephania but soda. I've seen it, yeah.
2: That was that was a that was a brilliant night out. I took my wife, our kids, yeah um. Father, yeah. father and mother-in-law and um, sister-in-law and her husband there. And we had a great night with, you know, the chef, I think his name was John, cooking everything right in front of us. That, yeah. that was brilliant. That, that real sort was... of food experience.
0: Yeah, it, it sounds like almost almost uh, 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 bizarre. I don't know how it feels seeing this stuff being done in front of me, but it sounds like a brilliant show.
2: It was, it was really great. But I just think there's loads of places like that in Sheffield. And it's not, you know, we don't have a Michelin restaurant in Sheffield. Um, but we do have loads of great places to really eat and do. I think areas as well, you know, um, Charavale is beautiful around there. It is. Um, down on Abbeydale mm-hmm. road, there's some really lovely curry houses mm-hmm. down there and sort of little sort of treaty places to go. And then, you know, if you're going to town, there's so much choice. Um, and I just think I, I love eating out in Sheffield and uh, whether that's breakfast or, or tea. And I, I, I think, you know, one thing we do very well is the, uh, hot roast
0: pork sandwich oh absolutely berets oh
2: <laughs> and you've got you've got to have everything on everything
0: you do. On. yeah you do you do you absolutely including
2: you do. dip i did i did have to explain to nadia what dip was but she actually
0: understands now well this is the thing it's it's I, I had to explain to my partner who who grew born born and raised in sheffield 23 now and i she'd never been to berets and i took her to berets tried to describe to her what dip was and she wasn't having it.
2: <laughs> See, we, we, in our house, we call it Beres. I, I don't know whether that, I'm wrong or right now. We've always called it Beres. Oh, I, I might maybe be Maybe I'm mispronouncing it all these
0: years. I may um, be wrong.
2: But yeah, I always, I, I have a hot roast pork sandwich and one of those lovely cornflake cakes. I mean, you can't go wrong. Can no,
0: you? no, that's a stellar order. A stellar order. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of shift back to sport a little bit. I know um, as a, a big football fan yourself, there's, and with Sheffield being kind of like your, your adopted city, everyone, when they come to Sheffield, kind of has to choose Sheffield United Sheffield Wednesday, and obviously um, it's you know you I think I believe you went down to Wembley, didn't you, to root on Wednesday? Um, yeah. This year, how did you come to the Sheffield Wednesday side of the city, and rather the Sheffield United or even Sheffield FC uh, side of the city because they're still in the old? Well, I've,
2: I've been to I've been to watch Hallam FC play a few times. I love yeah. I going to watch them. That's proper like grassroots football. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I am. Um, I've just, as a kid, my three favourite footballers were um, Old Ronaldo, yeah, Zinedine Zidane, and Chris, Chris Waddle. So <laughs> fair enough. You no, know, my Chris Waddle has Chris Waddle at my heart.
0: So yeah. when I
2: came to Sheffield, I was always going to go and sit in the student wedge at Hillsborough, and it was only five quid, you know, to go. And I, that was the years when they were in the Premier League, and they were, you know, Reggie Blinker was there with his with his brother, yeah. um, Orlando Trussell. You know, David Hurst was banging them in. And I, that was that, that was a great Sheffield Wednesday team. Sadly, you know, they, they went down and it took a long time yeah, to yeah. build them back up. But, yeah, I, I used to go to Bramwell Lane quite a bit. But I think my wife's family are all Sheffield Wednesday fans as well. and
0: That helps. You know, if, if, it was good <laughs>
2: enough, if it was good enough for Chris Waddle, it was good enough for me. And my son supports Wednesday. So it was nice to see him sort of have that experience of Wembley. Because I've been to Wembley hundreds of times. Working there and for games and for other events, but that was his first trip to Wembley and to see Shepherd Wednesday win. Yeah, I think that's that's you know that will live long in the memory.
0: Um, we'll we'll move on right. quickly because I don't want to I don't want to uh, uh, take too much longer with you. Um, and we'll talk about uh, your time with with Channel Five. Um, you've been given so much more yeah. freedom now. It, it, it appears, um, and I think you said yourself, you know, there's there's more of a creative element to do to do other things with Channel Five. How have you been finding that?
2: I've loved it. I mean, I've, listen, I really enjoyed my time in the BBC, and my time at the BBC is—it's not like dead because I could still go back and work for them, and that may well happen in the future. But yeah. um, I, Channel Five have been brilliant, and you know, when I went there, they were really positive, and they said, "We want you, we want you to come here. We want you to do all this with us. We want to make you one of the you know faces of the channel, and we want you to make telly with us." And they've—they have really followed through on that. I think. The thing I've just done with Helen Skeleton, which has gone down brilliant. really well, yeah, I hope to come back for a second series. That, um, that, I think, that's the fourth series I've made this year. Yeah. So you know they have delivered over and above, and it's going really well on the news side of things. Our audience is up thirty percent. So there's loads to celebrate, and I've really enjoyed it. And I don't think it's, I'm not sure it's a freedom because I always felt I was free to do what I wanted the BBC, but it's just. The ability to make decisions quickly, which is what I, I love at Channel Five. Like,
0: yeah.
2: you know, let's do a let's do a special on this. Let's make this program. Um, and I think there's that flexibility which you you have when you're when you're a slightly smaller organisation, but yeah. you can make make decisions without it going through 90 different committees. So, and I've got some amazing friends on Breakfast. I spoke to I spoke to Carol last week. I spoke to Sally on today Monday um, I text Louise regularly so you know I'm still really good friends with lots of people that I used to work with and I spoke to Alan Shearer on Tuesday so you know it's the friendships don't end but professionally I'm really enjoying myself at the minute.
0: It'll be a a, a nice segue on to uh, the people in politics obviously started with Angela Rayner. That went down really, really yeah. well. Fantastic interview series. Uh, but more recently, uh, came to Lee Anderson, who is the deputy chairman of the of the Conservative Party. But um, Twitter followers, Twitter, well, not Twitter now. X X followers, X, you know, whatever you want to call them, um, didn't seem to take the Lee Anderson episode um, as well. And why? Why do you think that is?
2: Uh, well, I think judging anything by social media is a dangerous game. Um, mm. And I think, you know, politics is volatile and politics is particularly fruity at the minute, isn't it? And, yeah. and it, you know, it, it matters because it affects all of our lives. And that's why spending time with politicians to actually find out what makes them tick is, is more important than ever. And I've done, you know, I've interviewed the last eight prime ministers yeah. and um, I've spent a lot of time with politicians I often feel that when you do an interview with a politician, it's three or four questions, it's maximum four minutes and off you go and you never really get to understand what makes them tick. Why are they an MP? Why do they want to be elected? What what are they trying to change in their community? What inspires them? Why do they come up with some of the controversial things that they say? And I think um, that's what we're trying to do with this People in Politics series, to try and get to grips with our politicians and spend a bit more time with them. And I spent you know, three hours with Angela Rayner. I spent about the same amount of time with Lee Anderson. We've got Ed Davey coming up and Hamza Youssef and um, the Green Party. I think Mark Drakeford is going to do us as well. And we've now got MPs Brilliant. applying to us and saying, we'd love to do this series with you. And I think when you shine a light on... Controversial characters like Lee Anderson and also Angela Rayner to a certain extent. I think yeah, no, people have, a, people have a people have an opinion, don't they, of who you should be spending time with and who you should be breaking bread with. I and mean, people have complained about the fact that I was eating a Viennese walt uh, a, Vien- a Viennese strictly yes, really. a Viennese world <laughs> with um, Lee Anderson. But they, you know, there was there weren't as many complaints about eating salt and pepper chicken with Angela Rayner. And I know for some people, Lee Anderson's Politics are difficult to get their head around, but yeah,
0: they the are. The important compatible. thing
2: for me, the the important thing for me is, he is not like some outlier, and mm. we're not giving oxygen to somebody who is like a a YouTuber. This guy is the de- deputy leader. De- um, dep- sorry, this guy is the deputy chair of the party that are in power, and he yeah. is a democratically elected official and thousands of people voted for him so the whole point of this series is to try and understand what makes these men and women tick what difference are they trying to make in society and why does their message hit home what does it say about the rest of us that these are the you know these are the sort of policies and the statements that politicians can can come up with because now we are we are all we all live in a society where Lee Anderson, Angela Rayner, Ed Davey. These are the people who are in, in Parliament. So I just think it's, yes, it creates headlines. And I know some people twist what is said and take things yeah. out of context. But no, if some right-wing leader, like, let's say, uh, Le Pen in, in France, people say, yeah. would you interview her? Of course I would. Because yeah. she's a democratically elected official who represents a party and I think it's important to try and understand all facets of the world in which we live and why people feel the way they do because I think part of the problem that we have in politics at the minute is people are told you can't think that you can't feel mm. that way and that's why you know particularly the twitterati and the social media world is surprised when things like Trump gets elected because they push that opinion to one side and say it's unacceptable to vote for somebody like that. And yeah. it almost, you almost made to feel that it's illegal to have that opinion. And then there's a surprise when actually in private, people do feel a bit like that because of the frustrations of the world that we live in. And they have voted for Trump and then like social media erupts and says, this is a disgrace. But the reason why that's a disgrace is because it feels like a disgrace. Is because that point of view has been shoved to one side and is made to feel illegitimate. Mm. And I think it's not a case of saying I agree with Angela Rayner or I agree with Lee Anderson or I'm going to spend 10 minutes with Ed Davey, therefore I must be a Liberal Democrat. In a, I, I'd like to think the vast majority of the audience are, are more intelligent than that to realise that what I'm trying to show you is this is a politician. This is what they believe. Do you want to vote for them in the le- next election? Do you think their party should be in power? Because when yeah. pressed on some of those important issues, this is what they really think. This is where the rubber hits the road. And it's mm. for me that's all part of the democratic process. And that's what being a journalist is all about. I'm a journalist yeah. who asks I'm a journalist who asks politicians questions. And if you if we ever get to a stage where as a journalist I'm not allowed to ask a politician questions, then we're in trouble, I think.
0: No, and, and and I think that's one of the that's that's where f- journalism originated from wasn't it it's, it's it's informing people about the views the people and then letting them make their own decisions
2: yeah and I, I that's always been my way with with politics you know I'll interview the prime minister and people will say oh you're not hard enough or why didn't you ask this or why didn't you you know interrupt him when he said that or this and my my style with Politicians, And with any interview I do is to let people talk because okay, yeah. I don't want you to I don't want you to watch a political interview and think, oh, I know what Dan thinks or, oh, I know what um, I know how angry Dan got about that. My, mm. my, I think it's a really important part of the political process that you understand why a politician thinks the way they do. And sometimes you've just got to let them speak and you can challenge them. And I always do that. And you can say, mm-hmm. "Why did you say that? Why did you know?" For example, with the Leanderson thing, why did you say "f off back to France"? And can you see yeah. why that has angered so many people? And is that actually what you think? And what you know, if you said that to somebody walking down the street, you could be arrested. Um, of course. So it's you know, and I think you can challenge somebody without getting them in a headlock. And uh, it can be a discourse and um, a conversation, and not a lecture.
0: Of course no and um, I, I, oh, I by
2: the way it's also go on. it's fine for it's it's fine for people to disagree with me about that you know what i mean
0: of course yeah
2: and i don't mind that i don't mind that people watch that and say i can't believe you've interviewed him or why didn't you say that that's that's i don't i don't expect everybody to think i've done a brilliant job and i don't expect um, people to watch something and to think oh i agree you know we shouldn't agree with we shouldn't all agree with the same politicians but what i like about you know interviewing politicians is that if i interview a conservative half the people who watch it will think i'm a tory and half the people who watch it will think i'm a labour supporter and mm-hmm. that that for me feels like a good mix because if you can't tell what my political persuasion is that's a good must thing must be doing something right the, if you saw the response to any political interview I've ever done and you saw the mixture of Dan, you're an idiot, Dan, you're brilliant Dan, you're a disgrace, Dan, you're a Tory boy "Oh, you're a Corbynista that, I like that mix because yeah. it's not about I don't care what my opinion is and I don't think you should either
0: No, and it's it's very, very traditional approach to uh, journalism one that I quite like, Dan, I quite like that um, and uh, hopefully, you know it, it, it may continue thank you so much for um joining us on the scoop we'll let you continue with the rest of your day um and yeah thank you so much
2: thanks for having me and um don't forget to try the the glitter bolty at prithi raj i w-
0: i won't i won't i'll make sure i have it
2: or the sh- <laughs> i recommend also the shuka sandwich at brook in forward try that as well
0: they're all i'll write them down right now <laughs> 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 thank you mate thank you so much cheers We can't thank Dan enough for sparing us the time for that chat. He's a very busy man with all these series and specials being done for Channel 5. Uh, This arrangement was actually made a fair few months ago. Um, Thank you for listening to the Sheffield Scoop podcast. We'll be back in two weeks for the next episode with Alistair Rolk. Uh, See you then. The Sheffield Scoop.